In the hedgerows and ditches, in fields all across Carlow and Kilkenny, and indeed all over Ireland, are distressed-looking ash trees that are suffering with ash dieback disease. Look, at there, there, there's an ash tree now, and that's what we found here in Castle Morris. That tree is struggling. Do you see the lighter-coloured branches on that? They're badly infected now with ash dieback. They're, they're, there's lesions in all of them. There's a growth that went on it last year. Next year that will be infected. And that's the way the disease acts. It comes back, stops, comes back, stops. Every year it comes back. And it'll come to a point that it'll damage so much of the crown that the tree will not be able to sustain the growth it requires and the tree dies. It's like a person that, you know, you need oxygen in your blood to live. And if that oxygen stays dropping sooner or later, you will just die. And the tree does the same thing. It's exactly a carbon copy of something like that. You know what I mean? But you, you will see the lesions if you go in closer to it. And it's a fungus, Mick. It's a fungus. Yeah, it's a fungus and it's an airborne fungus. This is Mick Power, National Estate Manager with Quilcha, with responsibility for biotic risk. We're in Castle Morris Woods. Uh, Castle Morris is an area of about 600 acres of mixed woodland, which is mainly laid aside for biodiversity. And one of the most important in that biodiversity mix is the ash. To me, the ash tree should be our national tree. Now, I know there are circles I get eight in for saying that. The oak is our national tree. But however, ash is far more prevalent than oak. People don't realise that. It's far more prevalent. It's a native. And the reason I'd make it our national tree, it has a huge cultural and social significance from the point that hurleys are made from ash. Now this industry and of course the other important environmental attributes that the tree brings are at risk because the trees are dying from ash dieback disease. When it got in, it absolutely went to town around the country. It spreads in the wind and anything that spreads in the wind is uncontrollable. So we now have a situation on the island of Ireland that ash dieback is fairly well embedded in every one of the 32 counties. Um, it's, it's a situation where we stand in danger of losing our ash. There, now, look, this is, a real, this is a real copy of what you see. This, the, the, oh, there's the lesion. See the lesion going down? Yeah, it's like a, um, a dark uh, yeah. streak on the Absolutely. On the, the disease is under that. It's in the tree, and you can see the spearhead of it where it's heading. Yeah. And you can see it's even down there at the minute, but that hasn't turned brown yet. But you can see the leader head of where it's heading for. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, the tree will throw out these little shoots as best it possibly can. That's a cry for life. That's a cry by the tree, keep me going, keep me going. But you see, you look at this here, and there's your lesion down as far as it's here. You see it here, it's in here, it's back down along here, you can see the darkness in the stem as you go along. That's where we are, that's what ash dieback is. And that's the effect that ash dieback has. Not going to die this year, not going to die next year, I'd say within four or five years that tree will be gone. It's awfully sad. However, there is cause for hope, and that hope is in Castle Morris Woods in Kilkenny, on a two-hectare site where a colonial bank of ash dieback resistant trees are growing. There is an element of resistance within the species. A very low percentage of trees will be resistant, and we need to identify those and breed from those, and that's where the clonal bank here in Castle Morris come into play. We have travelled through Europe 
to resurrect these trees and we got 600 clones which represented 200 families. We replicated it three times. We came down here and we planted 600 what we thought were resistant plants. Now I never believed uh, that we could uh, bring the whole 600 through. Castle Morris is an area of huge high inoculum levels of ash dieback and has been from the very start. There was a lot of ash in the area, the bulk of it is diseased at this stage. So the level of inoculum and disease is, I'd say, unprecedented here. Mm. So we brought those trees here and we planted them out. We lost about 60% of them in the first 12 months, but the other 40% are standing solid which is good. Mm. Now we have a base that we can work with. Mm. Now we have other trees in progress in the background. We have taken cuttings off those trees that proved to be resistant and I got those cloned last year and they're in our nurseries up in Ockram. They're grown away in the background and they'll, they will be planted out here this time next year. So what we'll have here very shortly is two hectares of resistant ash. And this is the area that we will use cuttings um, within the next four to five years, I would expect that we'll be back in the forests with resistant ash trees. And we let the clonal bank stay grown until such time as it starts to produce seed. And that seed then will be the next run of trees going out there. So this is the, what, the embryo? Call it whatever you like. I'm not too sure what term you'd use. But that's what we've got here. We've got the cocoon. That's the clonal bank that is working away in the background right it's going to take time no point in saying anything else but it's better to be able to say that you know within 20 years we'll have a good stock of ash back in the country rather than say it's gone we've lost elm you know we've lost larch we've lost other species along the line we can't lose a native species that should be our native that should be our our public representative we can't lose that we have to put the work into it Ash dieback disease was first detected in Ireland in 2012 on plants imported from continental Europe, where it had been rampant since the 1990s. This disease, to a large degree, has been caused by globalisation. Now, I'm not here to to get into a, into a debate about globalisation. There's goods and bads. We've had globalisation since Hannibal crossed the Alps or since... Christopher Columbus sailed to America. That was the start of globalisation and we've all benefited. But there's a price on globalisation. And when you start to haul organic material all over the world, you really don't know what you're bringing with you. And it's until something like this happens that you don't ever know the true cost of globalisation. And in this case, the cost of globalisation would be the cost of re-establishing ash in the country. That's the cost. And that will go into millions over the years. It will go into millions. Really? It will, yeah, will definitely. It will go into millions. But look, that's the way it is. Um, you know, the good thing is it's moving on. And that's what we've got there. We'll, we'll win at the corner here below. And you said there, is there different varieties of ash within the ash genre? So there are different uh, genetical types, put it like that. Um, you know, and, and some are more resistant than others. Now, we're doing a lot of research in the background in molecular identification and one thing the next, and that would be a big breakthrough in science if we can do that. I don't think we're very far away from that, but what it would mean is that we could take a clip enough of a tree and look at it for, um, you know, the, 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 the makeup of the cells and the molecules inside it and see if there's a, a genetic trend running through it. And if that's common and if that's present in a lot of these species 
well then we'll know it's resistant mm -hmm. and that would be a far quicker way of identifying the trees rather than doing it the way we're doing it here yeah okay but it, would it be a thing then when you take these trees resistant trees out into the world or out into the land they'll mix with other trees and it could be a thing that then they it could get holds, weakened no it holds its resistance that's one thing we know a resistant tree will not be weakened a resistant tree will not be weakened and into that a lot of the trees that are infected out there will be gone by the time that these resistant trees come on comes on on on, on track okay now you see soo8 okay that came from sligo all right so you have the three uh, little trees that were uh, um, got in that area there we're trying to concentrate as much as we can on native ash okay because they will do best here in Ireland but there are other stuff out there and I would have to say they would leave Irish ash standing in the shade it's as simple as that with their growth rates and their forum there is a provenance from Athos just outside Paris absolutely powered in the head there's a provenance coming from normandy again the same thing there's the one that we got in Karlsruhe in germany is absolutely powered on now that's at present and that's over the last couple of years we can say that it'll sustain that level of growth over its lifetime we know the irish ones will that they'll fall into a pattern and they'll grow because they're acclimatized here in ireland the other ones are so um growthy you would have to wonder like you know what i mean it's like uh, you know, anything that can be very, very vigorous can be very, very, very vulnerable as well. And, and that's the danger. That's why we're concentrating on the Irish stuff, to try and make sure that uh, everything works in that regard, like, you know. I was reading there, though, that, you know, as our climate changes, with climate change, like, the weather will change, and with that there'll be more diseases and more pests, and maybe more trees will become vulnerable to other other kinds of infections. That's a, that's a big fear of anybody involved in forestry. Um, my role in forestry is... Um, I, I'm the estates man, uh, uh, National Estates Manager, as things stand, but I have special responsibility for biotic risk and to look at the implications of climate change, what might and mightn't happen. And there certainly is um, a lot of credence in the idea that, you know, as temperatures rise, <coughs> pests and diseases become far more active and far more transmissible. You take, for instance, there's um, an Ips beetle. It's a, a, a large spruce bark beetle um, on continental Europe. He turned up in the southwest, southeast of England this year in Kent in five different areas. And for the first time ever, because of weather conditions, he was able to fly the English Channel. Now, he didn't have an aeroplane, but he went up high enough and caught, caught the high winds and ended up in Kent. And he's now embedded in English forestry. And we have that next door. And that's something that we cannot afford to have. And there are other areas out there, like the Emerald Ash Borer that has now shown up in the Ukraine, uh, coming from Russia, and is making steady progress down towards Europe. Yeah. Now, if we think we're bad with ash dieback, wait till this gent becomes embedded, there will be very little left. And that's the dangers of, of where we stand. Yeah. We have to be more um, vigilant um, in things that we do in that regard. Yeah. You know, important material, organic material, as I say, pulling our organic material all over the world is not the way to go. Mm -hmm. And we should have better controls. You take, for instance, I don't know whether you've ever been to Australia or New Zealand, but you would not get past the customs in Australia with a tea bag. Mm -hmm. 
And if you're caught with anything, it's jailed, you get. You get sent home straight away. And proper order. They are protecting their own biodiversity and they're fighting like lions to do that. And they're right. I wouldn't criticise them one little bit for doing that. No, no doubt in the world about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and those two lads that you were talking about, what, what trees do they affect or are they indiscriminate? Uh, to a la- the, 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 the Ips beetle is indiscriminate where software is concerned. He will attack Scott's pine, he will attack firs, he will attack spruce. Um, yeah, he's a fairly broad-minded individual in that regard, but extremely dangerous. From the beginning, the fight to save our ash trees was taken on by the state. In areas like this, when these things go wrong, you need an element of state involvement. Yeah. Uh, I think they're the only ones that can last the pace and fund it as well into the barrack. You know, not too many people are interested in a sinking ship. And ash, due to ash dieback, is a sinking ship, unless we do something about it, you know. It's, it's that simple. And that fight was motivated initially by the desire to protect the hurley-making industry in Ireland. Hurling is our native game, an amateur sport, which I hope it always will be. Uh, and the, the art of making hurleys is the last cottage industry that we have here in Ireland. It's the last industry where a guy can set up a little workshop in his back garden in his own garage or whatever and make a living out of it uh, there are, there's a demand for 360,000 hurleys annually here in Ireland uh, the game is going from strength to strength and we do need to service that make no doubt in the world about it Shane McEntee uh, who was minister at the time when this whole Ash Die Back thing came about uh, set up uh, a group called the Ash Society of Ireland and that group is chaired out of Croke Park. I represent Quilch on that group, represented in it as well as Chogusk, uh, the Forest Service, Department of Agriculture, the Hurley Makers, uh, like like the Brian, Brian Dowling here in Kilkenny and that sort of thing, would be represented on that group. And everybody has an input into how to solve this problem. One of the strands this group are looking at is to take the hurl from a different part of the tree and not just from the butt of the tree. But it's not so much about the butts anymore, and this is one of the strands we're looking at. We're looking at going further up the tree and taking the hurley from straight lengths and splicing the turn into it. Tom O'Donoghue is a hurley maker, and at his workshop in Drakelands, Kilkenny, he shows me the planks of ash that will all make uniquely different hurls. This is a he-grain plank, as we would call it. It would be a quick-grown ash, and it grows to a big, grows to a big side. So the quicker it grows, the wider the grain. This one here now is what we call a she-grain. It's a slow-grown, and you can see the natural curve of the grain in it is tight-grained. And what it is is a tree that grows to a big size, but takes its time growing. So probably the so tighter the grain, then the stronger it is, is it? Um, not necessarily. Um, the tighter the grain, the heavier the hurl. The wider the grain, the lighter the hurl. And then we also have what we call the diamond grain. Well, it's what we call it here in O'Donoghue's, the diamond grain hurl, which is a tree that doesn't grow very um, very big, but it takes, a, it takes its time growing as well. And what is in it when the tree is knocked and it is milled in the in, in the sawmill in, into the plank here and you have the diamond in it, what we call the heart of the tree is in it. And 
in my book, it makes a lovely balanced hurl. Tom is fourth generation hurley maker and he's sad at the potential loss of the ash tree through ash dieback disease. It's eventually that um, we won't have any ash. So we won't. And like we were importing ash as it was because it wasn't as plentiful as it used to be. But then, we'll say 30 years ago or a little more, there was a big incentive for farmers to grow, you know, grow ash to use, you know, a space, we'd say two, three, five acres for to grow timber and not alone ash, but to grow oak and birch and, you know, different species of timber. And unfortunately, this is where the dieback disease came in then that mm-hmm. it came and it's not only here in ireland it's 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 everywhere it's, yeah. it's affecting everywhere. I was actually watching um country file there, which is the English um equivalent of the ear to the ground and the presenter was saying that they're going to lose somewhere in the region of a hundred million ash trees in the next five years. Mm-hmm. So they are. That's it, yeah. Mm. Unfortunately, and it's unfortunate for the whole, not only just for the one young tree, but it's just for the whole um, forest. There's just something, whether it is us or whether it is the climate, there is just something um, smoother or or more simpler about Irish ash. Mm. You know, particularly when you go to Spokeshaven and when you you go to Planet and you go to Sod. Softer is probably the word I'm looking for. Times have changed over the years since Tom began making hurls. The game of hurling has changed too. And while we keep our fingers crossed for Mick Power's clonal bank in Castle Morris, Tom is already seeing changes in hurls being used as part of the game. Most goalkeepers now puck the ball out. When the ball goes wider, the ball is goes for a score. They use the carbon fibre hurl to puck it out. And I see, you know, lots of ch- chaps now, of course, using the bamboo hurl, which is a very expensive hurl and there's nothing wrong with that. But it, it, it just takes a lot, lot extra work to make the bamboo hurl between one team and another. But where we, the tradition hurl maker through, through the ash, you know, we're able to mark it and cut it down where they have to laminate it and they have to glue it and they have to, you know. But to get back to our industry, it is, there is so many families depending on hurl making. Mm-hmm. You know, as you can see here in the workshop, I repair hurls as well. Mm-hmm. And like if if we lose that, we're going to lose a huge tradition. Mm. So we are. Mm-hmm. And it's not only shocking for the hurl maker, it's shocking for the man that that that, that, that decided to grow it. It's shocking for the, the, the you know, the harvester uh, and uh, it has many, many, you know, knock on effects. Mm-hmm. And eventually it stops at the hurler. Mm-hmm. Because if he can't get a hurl to hurl, he won't be able to hurl. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's you know, and that's the bare truth about it. So you know, you be in conversation with friends, and you be in conversation with different people, and they ask you about um, you know the carbon fibre hurl or the whole. I welcome them. Mm-hmm. So I do. I welcome them because if we haven't got a stick to play the game, like and if you go back over tennis, has it evolved? You know from the traditional timber and actually it was also made from laminated ash Mm. to carbon fibre and and they're able to stay playing their great games so they are you know so we should be doing the same and and embracing it if we can't get traditional hurl we'll have to get some sort of a hurl to play Mm. 
no more Clash of the Ashes. No, well, unfortunately, with the game has gone, the Clash of the Ashes. <laughs> how quick the game has gone, and how 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 fast the game has gone, and everything, and the tactical game has has gone. But if we don't have Ash, we have to have something else yeah. to use as our, you know, our stick. So we do. Yeah. And on, as you said, unfortunately, we won't have the Clash of the Ash. But have we the Clash of the Ash now? You know. Here's an interesting fact about trees. Trees are the longest living organisms on Earth. California, on the west coast of America, holds the record for the oldest living tree. Some of the state's bristlecone pines and giant sequoias are 4,000 to 5,000 years old. Methuselah, an estimated 4,850 year old ancient bristlecone pine, is one of the oldest living trees in the world. Trees from seed to sawdust is funded by the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine as part of the Woodland Support Project.